and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlie. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing chapters three and four of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. We are a little bit messy in this episode. And we both almost throw up about five times. So if you want to grab some shots before you do this, do it. Just join us in solidarity. Like, please, because we're, we're, you'll find out when you get into why, but oh God, we're a bit of a mess. Yes. Yeah. So enjoy. Uh, we hope that you like it. If you do, just yeah, yeah. just do do, do the you. thing. Do the thing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Social Thanks media. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. We're back with another episode. Yep. 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 We're back. Charlie, tell the people what we're drinking. I am full of dread. So we've got another Patreon alcohol request, this time from our producer-level Patreon, Sandra, or Who, Sandy, she sometimes signed off as, I don't know which one you prefer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who we both love. Yeah, you're lovely. And also hate. So she requested absinthe or moonshine, um, both of which I think are sold in America. Yeah. Don't know what moonshine is, like tried to look it up, no Google results, don't know what that is. Um, absinthe we've heard of. So we tried to find it, couldn't find it anywhere. I then looked it up. It was banned in the UK for a super long time. Yeah. It, so now you can get it, but it's hard to get a hold of and very expensive. Yeah. So we went for the closest thing. So uh, absinthe is aniseed flavour. And in the UK, what you can buy, which is known as one of the strongest alcohols you can get hold of in supermarkets in the UK, is ouzo, which is a Greek aniseed flavoured spirit. So we're drinking that. And Charlie doesn't like aniseed and I and hasn't tried ouzo and I already know I hate ouzo. So thanks, Sandra. Thank you. If you want to punish us with alcohol, you can check us out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash goblet of wine. If you, you know, love listening to the podcast, but apparently hate us inside. Yeah, maybe you're hate listening and you're like, I really wish that I could somehow inflict an incredible amount of pain on these gals. Just make us drink awful alcohol and give us hangovers. We, we will, because we have to drink it. You said it, we have to drink it. Here, yeah, apparently. within reason. Right, so let's sip this together. So we've got it straight to sip to try it, and then we're probably going to mix it with water because I actually cannot record this if we have to drink Can the whole I thing just straight. Say, because we've mixed it, like right now we just have ice. Yes, we just have to have it cold. It's gone the colour. <laughs> yes, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, it looks like cum. Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. Cheers! Cheers. <laughs> oh, and until the burning started, I could deal with it. So I haven't had it over Oh, God. <laughs> Charlie's like, face is screwed up in pain. I feel like it tastes like a robot has jizzed in my mouth. So, uh, yeah, I, that was so much better than I thought. I've been having this, well, my family make me shot this for dares at Christmas. Um, Good. Yeah, but over ice, that's actually bearable. The only thing I don't like is because I have memories of shotting it over Christmas, then nearly vomiting. When I sip it, my body goes, vomit. That's me and tequila. Yeah. Charlie, I, I'm daring us we have to finish our glasses by the end of the episode. I want to go to bed after this. <clears throat> right, so chapter three, The Burrow. Charlie just turned to me and show her, showed me her notes. What do they say, Charlie? Tell the podcast. It's one word and it says nothing. Because I had no notes on this chapter. I'm worried you have no notes because you listened to it at work and therefore couldn't write notes. Um, I feel like you're making the assumption that I do work at work, and that would be <coughs> wrong. Oh, Hannah's retching. She just drank more. 
I can't finish that glass. You you said we have to. Oh, drinking it quickly makes it worse. Oh, genuinely, I might vomit. <laughs> I hate this so much. Do you remember when we came up with that clever idea for Patreon to choose our alcohol? Okay, so we now both have Coke so that we can, like, drink the ouzo and then wash it down with Coke to try and get rid of the taste. At least, I think absinthe would have been worse. Yeah. Apparently but... it's, like, aniseed and, like, minty or something. Okay. But like, I do want to try absinthe. Oh, 100%. I, so I'm going to America in Easter. Yeah. Um. So if there are any alcohols that are hard to get here or impossible to get here that you want us to try, if you become a patron, I mean, you can either become a patron now and say wait until Easter or become a patron at Easter mm. and let me know that I can try and bring over the American alcohol. Yeah. And I do want to drink absinthe because it has such a reputation. I definitely want to try it. It was just too difficult to get hold of for this podcast. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I have some notes on this chapter. Charlie doesn't, so I guess I'm leading this section. I will think of stuff when as you're I say it. saying it. Yeah. So, again, like the last chapter, we start where we left off. Runs at the window in a turquoise car that's parked in the air. Um, which is just a great image. I love it. And here's a fact for you. The dedication for this book is to Sean P.F. Harris. God, you're a nerd. <sighs> Shut up. The de dedication for this book is for Sean P.F. Harris, and it says... Foul weather friend and getaway driver. And basically why she called him that is because... Oh, I just burped and it tastes like ouzo. <laughs> basically, she called him a getaway driver because it was a friend of hers in sixth form who owned, guess what car? Oh, for fuck's sake. A blue Ford Anglia. Or at least a Ford Anglia. I don't actually know the colour, but it was... I think it was a blue Ford Anglia, which is why the Weasleys have this car. And they used to, like, get away from sixth form and smoke and, like... Just like run off together. Oh, what a badass! I know. Oh, smoking's oh. cool. Yeah, yeah. No. So that's why the book is dedicated to him because this is the book with the cast. So Harry starts saying that, oh, you have to go to Hogwarts and tell them what's happened, and Ron tells him to stop gibbering, <laughs> which is just brilliant and so something I'd say be like, shh, shh, stop, stop, stop gibbering, stop. Shh, shh, so they pull the bars off the window by reversing the car and then Fred and George, Fred who has been driving the car from this point, come into the house, which makes me worry that no one's driving the car. No one is like, like, can you park a car in midair? Because a handbrake does not work in the air. Does it? No. I clearly not. I don't know why I'm saying does it. No. I'm, I don't drive, so why are you asking me? Oh yeah. But surely, I don't know. That must be, like, you just park. And if it was parked on the ground, then it would be parked in the air. Well, no, when you park on the road, what you're doing is preventing the wheels from spinning, but a car doesn't fly in the air by its wheels spinning. I mean, I don't know how it flies, so... Right, well, the car is stopped. Yeah, the car is stopped. It's stable. <coughs> I'm actually going to vomit. Please do not. I can't do this. Yes, you can. Please don't actually throw up. <laughs> You've got to do it. I just felt a serious head spin as well. Oh, Charlie, wake up. That was nothing. I'm so sorry. This is definitely going to end with one of us throwing up. Place your bets now. Go over to Twitter. Twitter. There we'll will do be a, a poll. poll. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you listen to us? Why? There are so many, there are podcasts about Harry Potter where people actually make sense, but you're choosing to two girls. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know, like so far we've been recording for 16 minutes, we've said about two words about Harry Potter and the rest is just like, oh my god, Uzo. Uzo, Uzo.
<coughs> so they put all of the stuff in the car um, and Harry has to go tell Fred and George to break into the cupboard under the stairs to go get all his stuff out from there and they have to pick the lock, which is what I said earlier, Harry. Learn to pick locks. Yep. Look, Fred and George have got Hedwig out. They've got, they've got your stuff out the cupboard. You could have done that. Um, but the key of the whole thing is Harry, who has been giving up half his food to feed his bird, even though he's been starving, forgets Hedwig. <laughs> he, like, gets in the car, and the reason why all the Dursleys wake up is because Hedwig's like, Hoot! <laughs> Motherfucker! Like, excuse me, excuse bitch! Excuse me, bitch! <laughs> Where the fuck do you think you're going? Yeah, so that wakes all the Dursleys up. Harry runs back in, grabs Hedwig, throws her in the car. Mr. Dursley grabs hold of his ankle, but Harry escapes. Woo! Don't be sick. I'm trying. So, Harry's explaining why he hasn't answered to any letters, and he says that House Health came to visit him, blah blah blah, he explains the whole Dobby thing. Fred and George think that it's someone playing a prank on Harry, and Harry guesses that maybe that's something Malfoy would do, which is weird, because it's almost a half-right guess, because even though Malfoy isn't putting Dobby up to it, Dobby it is, is Malfoy's yeah. house elf. So, it's a weirdly correct guess. They're then talking about Ron is basically saying he thought the letters were going missing because of their owl, so he tried to use Percy's owl, Hermes. And this is just one of those great naming moments because Hermes was the Greek god of messages. Or the messenger god. God. Percy is a nerd and so are you. So, they land at Ron's and Harry describes the burrow, which to me, I don't know about you, the burrow sounds like the best place in the world. Yeah. You know the only thing that could have improved the burrow and the whole plot around the burrow and yeah. the books? They just randomly burnt it down at one point only to bring it back perfectly fine later on. We all hate that oh, bit wait. of the film. <laughs> but I just, I just love it. Like, I love higgledy-piggledy stuff. And I have this image, like, it's describing the book as a large pigsty with rooms added to it. So, basically, like, Molly and Arthur bought it as a pigsty. Like, and I'm guessing they must have been so proud of it. But it was a pigsty. Like, lit a literal pigsty. But they would have been so proud. And then with every kid, they were kind of like, let's add a room, let's add a room, let's add a room, until they have this weird-ass house. And then, like, there's chickens all around the yard and a paddock and a pond and... Just sounds... It sounds great. So, um, the Weasley kids have a terrible plan where they're like, let's sneak Harry up to Ron's bedroom and then Ron can just bow down for breakfast in the morning and Harry will be there and Mum will be so happy. Yeah. She she won't even question it. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 she'll question that. Yeah, they were just going to be like, look who turned up in the night. And it's like, how? By what form of transport? What form of transport runs in the night? No, she's going to question that. It's a terrible, terrible plan. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do the plan, however, because Mrs. Weasley turns up, she's been waiting for him the whole time, and she loses her shit. Which is understandable, because if my 12-year-old son and my two 14-year-old sons ran off in the middle of the night to who knows where, stealing a car, I would kill them. Yeah. So, yeah, she just yells and yells and yells, and then she does that funny thing, which is really funny in the film as well, where she's yelling and yelling and yelling, and she's like, Harry, darling, come in for breakfast. Yeah, the classics. Same and then with she's the howler. Like, yeah, and she's, like, trying to give Harry, like, sausages and toast and all of that, and every time her sons open their mouth, they're like, you can shut up. Harry, darling, do you yeah. want some toast? Yeah, Molly is bae. Molly is bae, because Fred also mentions, or Fred or George mention, that um, the Dursleys were starving Harry, and Mrs. Weasley starts buttering Harry's bread for him. Oh, <laughs> She's just so lovely. Pure. So they go into the Weasley's house and it's all being described and the first thing described is the Weasley clock 
But did you pick up on that it's not the Weasley clock? Is it not? So the Weasley clock in every book apart from this one has the names of all the family members on and it says whether they're at home, school, work, mortal prevel, prevel, pe peril, travelling. But in this, it's described as um, a clock with one hand. Are you going to vomit? I just burped again. Okay, it's described as a clock with one hand and the stuff around the edge says things like time to make tea, time to feed the chickens. That's not the Weasley clock. No. But it's described as a point of interest. You you realise that people can own more than one clock. More than one magical weird family clock? Yes. Okay, fine. Fine. Maybe she owns two clocks. I think J.K. Rowling just decided to add a different clock and hope no one would notice. So it's described <laughs> as books being stacked three deep on the mantelpiece, which is my life. I love books. I love stacking books everywhere. Um, Mrs. Weasley is feeding up Harry... Um, and then they go out into the garden to start the denoming. Harry says he loves the Weasley's garden, it's the perfect idea of a garden, which is funny because I'm sure the Dursleys have like a nice neat garden, but I think because Harry's been raised with these overly neat, overly cleanly people, he's like, mm, anyone that's really messy, because he's like, ooh, weeds everywhere, perfect. Yeah. I just really like that. But Harry mentions that muggles have gnomes as well, and Ron says that muggle gnomes look like fat little Father Christmases. So they have Father Christmas in the Wizarding World. Is Father Christmas a wizard? He's not real. Why does Ron know about him? Because they have plenty of just like general knowledge, like about the Muggle world. I don't um, know. I feel like how casually he says it, like fat little Father Christmases, means that they also have a Father Christmas in the wizarding world i mean of course like they have christmas so they're gonna have father christmas like but father christmas could exist in the wizarding world like you can have a wizard you could but i feel that deliver that it, presents i feel that it's more like christmas at this point in the uk is a secular thing yeah like it isn't to do with like a faith it's just like a cultural part of it yeah so it goes beyond yeah, it just me. I just, I've just always found Christmas and Easter interesting in the Wizarding World because it's based on these old religious things we have in England where even though a lot of the population of the UK isn't Christian anymore, we stick to all these Christian hor holidays because that's what our heritage is. Yeah. And I find it really funny that that translates into the Wizarding World as well. Yeah. Which it makes sense. Like, if you're going to follow what muggles are doing, you follow... I don't know. I, mean, I just find it really funny that they have Father Christmas as yeah. well. But like, I don't know, like, it's not like they don't, like, they do go out in, like, muggle places. Like, they need to buy food and stuff. Mm. And, like, you see the Christmas advertising and the cards and the pictures and calendars. Yeah. And you're going to see Father Christmas. Yeah. I just made me question who Father Christmas is in the Wizarding World. So they denome the garden. Mr. Weasley arrives home from work. And Mr. Weasley mentions it's been a terrible night. Mundungus Fletcher tried to hex me from behind. Good early mention of Mundungus Fletcher. Also, yeah. why are you trying to hex Mr. Weasley, Mundungus? He's a piece of shit. Yeah, but he's in on... Well, he's, I suppose he's one of those characters who's not on either side. He just does what's in best interest Yeah, him. I, I feel like... I mean, we can go into it in the later books, but I feel like it's never really explained why he is kind of part of the order. So they go up to Ron's room and... It's Chudley Cannon mental. There's Chudley Cannon stuff everywhere. Yeah. 
And it's mentioned, Harry's describing all the things in Ron's room, and he describes that he has a comic called, like, Martin Miggs, The Adventures of the Mad Muggle. So this made me think about, Ron's family like muggles. They are very accepting of muggles. They have a father who works with muggles. But they still buy their son this comic which is about a quote-unquote mad muggle. And I think this just really shows and explains prejudices in good people. Like, Ron is an inherently good person, but he comes into the Wizarding World, because he comes from the Wizarding World, he has a lot of inherent prejudices. He won't listen to Hermione about the house elf stuff, and he does have ideas of muggles that are like a bit weird sometimes and things like that. Like, he's inherently a good person, but he has all these background prejudices. And it's yeah. stuff like this, like, the family like muggles, but they still see them as inherently other. And I think that comic really shows it. Like, on one hand, you can just view it as, well, muggles read about wizards in fairy stories, so why isn't it the other way around? But also, like, I don't know, calling it like a mad muggle? Yeah. It's just I, like this other. But I didn't see it as, like, a bad prejudice. Like, it is other, but I think, for me, like, mad muggle is, like, they kind of see the muggles as, like, kooky and weird. Because yeah. they kind of have, like, different logic. Like, why would you do it the muggle way? Because they don't really have an appreciation for the fact that muggles can't do it the wizard way. Yeah. So they just see them as, like, kooky and weird and doing things in a very weird way. So I imagine this more as, like, a... Like, it's not a bad thing, but, like, a comic just about, like, oh, ha-ha, this, like, funny day-to-day -day life of having to be a muggle, yeah. doing things the dumb way. Yeah, or, like, I imagine it's, like, he went bowling as a hobby and explaining bowling as this really crazy thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just found it interesting. So... Ron mentions, he like basically apologises for his room being small and he said it's a lot smaller than that room you have at the Dursleys. Which I kind of didn't pick up on before but Harry has the smallest bedroom at the Dursleys and if you think of your normal semi-detached cul-de-sac house, uh, if it has a fourth bedroom it's usually a box room. Like I don't know what house the Dursleys live in but in my head it's the same head house that my grandparents lived in, like standard 1930s cul-de-sac house. So Harry lives in what would be known as the box room, which means it's a, like a pretty small room. It can fit a single bed, chest of drawers, but it's a pretty small room. Ron apologises, saying his room is tiny compared to that, which means basically that Ron's room is tiny, like really small. But like it fits two beds in. Well, so it fits can't... Ron's bed and a camp bed, but I imagine that's it. Like that takes up the floor. Yeah. But like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It just like, when I imagine the burrow, I sometimes imagine it's like this crazy place and it can be as big as it wants to be because it's like higgledy-piggledy. But no, Ron lives just below the attic. So it is a tiny space of a room. But he's clearly like kind of really proud of the burrow because when Harry's like, I love it, it's amazing, he like gets all embarrassed. Yeah. He's like, oh, I don't know. I just love this kind of pride in it. And I love the fact that Ron knows he lives in this really small room. He doesn't like the wallpaper. So he's just papered the whole thing in this chuddling cannon stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's cute. But that's cute. the end I of the I do love the burrow. I love, nice. I love it. It makes me really happy. Like, yeah. I would love my future home to kind of be a bit like the burrow. Just interesting things everywhere. Yeah. So the house next to me, it used to be this really, really tiny... Um, like cottage and then it got sold and they just knocked it down and like rebuilt a different house there and they called it the burrow so i live next door to, the, to burrow. the burrow i love that so that's it for chapter three charlie's right there's no plot in this chapter no that's why i had no notes it's like a like it's a lot like, of descriptions of important things the burrow mrs weasley the car nothing 
happens. happens. Nothing happens. Good. I liked it. It was an enjoyable chapter, but nothing happens. Nothing happens. Chapter four, at Flourish and Blot. So finally we have a time jump because all three chapters so far have been back to back. Um, the first thing is, Harry finds life at the Burrow unusual because everyone seems to like him. I know. <laughs> so, it's, it's so sad. It is. He finds life unusual because everyone likes him. Yeah. You should always live in a house where people like you. I mean, it's relatable though. Like, I don't know, when people like me... I mean, I'm surprised, and then I'm suspicious, yeah, and like, then I'm like, why? no, they're lying to me. <laughs> Everyone hates you. <laughs> they do. Yeah. No, they don't. Everyone likes you. I am convinced you hate me. Why? Is it because I'm not affectionate enough? No, it's because I'm convinced everyone hates you. Oh, okay. Me. And then also, like, you are a stone-cold bitch. I love you, and I love that about you, but you are. You so wouldn't want me to be really emotional and No! Stuff. God, no. <laughs> I would not be your friend. <laughs> you're like, you're a stone cold bitch, but if you were any other way, I wouldn't like you. <laughs> exactly. But like, yeah, I'm a crazy person, so I do, I relate to Harry. I get surprised when people like me. Oh, it's just sad. Ginny keeps knocking stuff over when she sees Harry, because she got a big old crush. Yeah. Ginny... I I feel you. I, I, I see. She's like 10 or 11 and like her crush keeps walking in there. At like breakfast and stuff when you want to be in your pyjamas and he mm. just appears, I would be putting my elbow in the butter dish. Like I, I feel for Ginny deep. Do you remember how painful crushes were at that age? Anyway. Um, <laughs> so they get the letters with the set books and Lockhart has set all his own books as reading material, which number one is vain, and number two is really selfish to families with no money. Yeah, and I just wrote that it's like literally every lecturer, like ever. Like if your lecturer is a published author, oh my god, they're they going to set you their, set their own books. They will set their own books. And they will pump the price up. Yep. And they'll be like, in the first lecture, they'll be like, if you read my book, you will have known. And we're like, shut yeah. up. And we had one that like set it as reading for oh. a class. And then he was like, don't get it from the university library, which obviously was free. He was like, you don't need to just read it once. He was like, you need to have it for the entire course. Like, you can't just get it and read it. He was like, you Whoa, need to actually have it. At no point, I did not read it from the library nope. or buy it. At no point did I need it. Nope. Nope. Anyway, so nope, yeah. Nope. But yeah, Rory that's basically what she's describing. Yeah, literally. But yeah, also, it's... Hogwarts doesn't have any sort of, as it must not, because the Weasleys can't use it, funding for poorer families to buy school books. Well, no, hold on. We know it does, because Tom Riddle uses it, because he has no money. Yeah. So they might have to have it for orphans and stuff. Yeah. But not for families who are just not well off. But the list is like seven books for some families with multiple children. That's just yeah. harsh. That's why um, you use condoms. We all like the Weasleys, Charlie. <laughs> So, then they need to go to Diagon Alley to get all these school books, and it's flu powder time, and Harry fucks up the flu powder so we can have some more plot information. Yay, Harry. Yeah. So, at least in the books, he's a lot less stupid than he is in the films. In the films, he manages to go diagonally for yeah. no reason. In the books, he basically swallows a mouthful of hot ash and then goes like, <coughs> diagonally. Yeah. And yeah. somehow that brings him out. At Nocturne Alley. But, like, the Weasleys are just, like, very presumptuous and just assume that he's done it before. Yeah, Mr. Weasley's like, get in the fire! And he's yeah. like, uh, no. And then when he, like, says that he hasn't, 
And then Mr. Weasley's like, oh, like, how did you do it last time? And he was like, oh, I went on the underground. And Mr. Weasley's like, did you? And it's just like, I just really, like, want to give Mr. Weasley a tour of London. Like, how fun would that be? Like, a tour of Muggle London. He would be so excited. So excited. It'd be like taking a small child out for the day. Or Americans. (laughs) I did not mean that Americans... A small children, I meant that they get really excited by... They do, by anything British. Yeah. Yeah, no, American tourists do get really excited in London. It's, yeah. it's nice. I'm glad our history is that exciting. Yeah, and I get excited by London like a basic bitch. Yeah, and I was damn excited in New York, so, you know, fair's fair. But yeah, yeah it would be similar to that. Um, so yeah, Harry lands in the most evil-looking shop in the world, which da, we da, now da. know is Morgan and Burke's. And here we have J.K. Rowling setting up a load of shit. Oh, so much foreshadowing. So much foreshadowing. Like, I know this book is technically my least favourite, as I said in the last episode, but damn if there isn't a lot of foreshadowing in this book. Like, just cram it in. Yeah. So first off, Harry hides in a large black cabinet. Charlie, what's the large black cabinet? The vanishing cabinet. It's the vanishing cabinet. It's here. We knew it was here from the beginning. So yeah, yeah, this is clearly the vanishing cabinet. Number one. Lucius Malfoy arrives because, obviously, in the ten-minute window that Harry arrives into Borgen and Burke's, so does Lucius Malfoy. What's a coincidence? That's Who knows? how Harry Potter works. <laughs> so, this is my favourite bit of the chapter. Um, Draco's bitching about Harry, and Lucius mentions, I've already heard this a dozen times this summer. Mm-hmm. Which means Draco's walking around his house every other day like, and Harry Potter did this, and Harry Potter did that, and Harry Potter thinks he's special, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And it comes across so gay. So gay. It just so comes gay. across as like, I love him, and I don't know how to express it. I think he does, and I think that makes, again, like, more interesting plot, but as we know, Definitely. gay people don't exist so, so, okay, okay. Yeah, no, but it would make a more interesting plot. And yeah. I just love Lucius's catty comment of, like, you've mentioned this a dozen times already. Yeah. This <laughs> is why, like, the um, Star Kid interpretation of Malfoy and Lucius is just the best. It is. Oh, my it God. Is exactly how it is in the books. Yeah. It's all there. It's all in the text. We know that Draco just hates Harry because he rejected him in that train compartment. Exactly. It's so gay. So then we get... The Hand of Glory, ding, 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 mentioned. Ding, ding, ding. Then we get the Opal Necklace, ding, ding, ding. ding. <laughs> Basically, book two is just book six. Yeah. J.K. Rowling was like, let me put everything I want to put in a later book. And then in book six, she was like, let's put all of it in this yeah. one. She's it's... like, shall I spread out the no, foreshadowing? No. Or just like, dump d- it. D- done. Dump mm-hmm. it in book six. So yeah. everything is mentioned. So yeah, Hand of Glory, Opal Necklace. The Malfoys leave after selling a load of crap. And Harry goes out into Nocturne Alley to apparently be molested by people if you watch the film. Yeah, but like there's a bit as well um, when he's like spying on the Malfoys in Borgen and Burks. And so Malfoy is talking to Borgen, Burke, some shady dude. And like talking about (laughs) like getting rid of the stuff that he has, which obviously this ties into him getting rid of the diary. But he says that he has poisons that would look very... And it's like, what... Who and why is he poisoning? That's not just like, like you don't have poison if you're not using it. Like, see, I imagined it as like old poisons. Like his family had made some poisons, and he'd be like, "I'll keep that for the future." But you would like he is straight up like he must be like threatening or poisoning people. Like you just know that he is using that for like political political gain. Yeah, I don't know. It's 
You really, you don't have poison if, you don't just, it's They're not dodgy those, people. It's not like in your medicine cabinet, like, you don't, don't just have it, you know, like, you've got your plasters and your cow pore hole, like, just in case, like, the poison is not something that you just keep in just in case you I need do. it. I do, what do you mean? This is what absinthe is, I'm poisoning you. Great. Yay. It tastes like poison. It does. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Harry goes out into Nocturne Alley to apparently be molested by people, which is what looks like is going to happen in the films, but Hagrid appears and saves Harry, because again, in the ten minute window that Harry's in Nocturne Alley, obviously both Lucius Malfoy and Hagrid appear, because that's how Harry Potter works. Yes, it does. Sometimes Harry Potter annoys even me, because the coincidences are just load of bullshit. I believe the word is actually coinkadinks. Coinkadinks. Drink more. No. One more sip, come on. Oh, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Awful. What am I going to do with this? I bought an entire, like, litre bottle. Well, you need to have another party. So, then they bump into Hermione and the Weasleys, because in the ten minute space they're going to bump into Lucius and Hagrid, they're also going to bump into Hermione and the Weasleys. Even though Diagon Alley is essentially the Oxford Street of the Wizarding World, they can all just fucking bump into each other. Coink-a-dink, coink-a-dink. But Hermione's there. Um, yes, Mr. Weasley meets Hermione's parents and is excited, and I find this the cutest fucking thing in the world. Because we know nothing about Hermione's parents, and my one main gripe with the book is, like, we yeah. know so much about Ron's background. And, like, Hermione's just like, she's got parents, they're dentists, bye, done. I want to know more! Like, that's not a good yeah, enough like, how are they dealing with this? Yeah, like, it's because so it's interesting. I, I think it's really clear in book five that they're super unhappy Hermione ditches them for summer, then doesn't come on that skiing holiday with them. Like, there's things she says that are like, no, they're super pissed off at her. Yeah. And like, that's just not explored. Why? Yeah. I find that interesting. Yeah. I know, it's so interesting and it really isn't and it's like, it is a, a doing a disservice to her character and again like, it is because she's the female. Yeah. And it's like, Rowling... women don't need fully fleshed out backgrounds. Yeah. J.K. Rowling said it wasn't relevant to the character she was writing and I'm like, yeah it is. All background story adds to the future character. Yeah. Like, I want to know more. Like, I've built it up in my head but that won't be completely different to how everyone else sees it. Yeah. But anyway, it's really cute that Mr. Weezy's like, come to the pub for a drink so I can like, bombard you with questions. Yeah. It's Cute. adorable because then they're future parents-in-law. So Aww. they would have spent... Imagine how excited Mr. Weezy was like every Christmas when the Grangers come yeah. around. Like, great, can I interrogate you about this? Yeah, that's some cute shit. <laughs> that's some cute shit. I want some fanfic about that, please. Um, so then they go into Gringotts and they go into the Weasley's vault and it's this horrible, awkward paragraph where they go to the mm. Weasley's vault and Harry has to watch as Mrs. Weasley empties the one galleon and a small pile of silver into her money bag. And then they're all in the same cart watching as Harry has to go to his vault. And like, it's a horrible to read because Harry, if he could, would give the Weasleys his money. Like that's mm. so well established, but they're not gonna take it. So he just has to have lots of money and watch this family struggle who are surrogating him and he loves. So he's trying to use his own body to hide the piles of money. Oh, it's just really painful to read and to think about. Yeah. Like, like I understand why he never does try, but you'd think you'd be like, well, if I'm here for summer, let me pay rent. Like, yeah. food. Like, I'm, like, in my head, when he's older, he probably does try to 
offer, but... It's still an awkward thing to offer. Yeah, because you know it's hospitality. Yeah. You know, like, Hermione's not going to offer, so, like, why would or should Harry? Yeah. But he knows. And in the end, you know, he gives Fred and George the winnings. He's the reason they own a business. But, yeah. oh, it's just... it's. Oops. I found it painful to read because... They're both stuck in situations where they can't do anything about it. Yeah. I found it really cute, though, where basically he's now got loads of money in his bag and he's out on the street with Ron and Hermione and he's still feeling a bit awkward about it, so we buy some huge ice creams. Yeah. And he just pays that. And I'm like, see, that's... He can't give them money, but what he can do... Is give them ice cream. Is give them ice cream. And then he does it further on where Gilderoy Lockhart gifts him all his books Mm -hmm. and Harry's like, well, I can buy my own. Ginny, have these. Yeah. That is the kind of thing he can do and that's really lovely. Yeah. But they're not going to let him do more than that. So they head to Flourish and Blots and it turns out Lockhart's doing a book signing. So Lockhart spots Harry, pulls him up to the front and makes it really embarrassing, is doing all these photographs, stuff like that. And then Lockhart announces to the room that he's going to be the new Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher at Hogwarts. Why does Lockhart, who is famous, probably really rich, seems to have a good career floating about being a personality, why does he want to be a teacher? How will that benefit him? How will it bring him more fame? I don't know, because, okay, when you think about it, all of the teachers at Hogwarts, aside from Trelawney, are like very renowned accomplished wizards like Dumbledore is like one of the best like McGonagall was like obviously amazing like Flitwick was the dueling master yeah incredible like we know that like Snape is like beyond so I do think that there must be you know Hogwarts is not going to get all of these amazing wizards if it wasn't you know a good job and renowned and seen as like a really like good thing to do okay. like, I think you know like it is as far as we know the only wizarding school in the UK yeah and or the best so I think that there is a status with being a teacher at Hogwarts whereas like, you have to be the best of the best like not just anyone it's not like here where like you know every other person you meet is a teacher like in the... not in the sense of way teachers are amazing no, no, there are so amazing. many schools in England obviously there's so many teachers yeah, yeah exactly I think you know it's like you have to be the best of the best to be able to be a Hogwarts teacher. So yeah, I, I guess there is be... literally only one Transfiguration teacher in England. No, in the UK, essentially. Yes. And that's McGonagall. Exactly. So I, suppose, I also suppose if Dumbledore, I was about to say phoned, but got on to Gilderoy Lockhart and was like, I want you to be a teacher. Gilderoy Lockhart doesn't know he's one of the last resorts because there's so few teachers left. He's mm. just like, wow, I must be amazing. Yeah, and I think he knows that he would have, like, all these, like, well, he doesn't know. He thinks he would have all these students looking up to him. But I think he never took it as a permanent role. In his head, it was like, I'm going to do this for a few years and then do something else. I don't think he took it like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life teaching. Yeah. Then they're done talking to Lockhart and they bump into Lucius and Draco in the back of the shop. And this is the moment where Lucius takes a book out of Ginny's cauldron. And then at the end, puts the diary back in. So the the question I have is why Ginny? So I wrote down a reason why I think it's Ginny. Why, Why I think he chooses Ginny. I think it's to do with these raids that are repetitively mentioned over and over again at the beginning of the book. You know, like, Mr. Weasley's doing all these raids. He's doing all these raids. Mr. Malfoy is clearly unhappy that he's having to get rid of his stuff. This muggle-loving man is making him, like, get rid of his heritage and, like, do all this stuff that he's embarrassed about. And he wants to get rid of muggle-borns and, to an extent, muggle-lovers. 
So he targets the child of mm. a man who is in a way targeting him at work. Yeah. And it's funny because it has nothing to do with Harry. Like, that whole bit of the plot, the diary, mm. Lucius plotting to give it to him, Lucius isn't plotting to take down Harry in any way. He knows that the if whatever he does is probably not going to target Harry. And he doesn't give the diary to Harry. Yeah. Like, in my head, maybe I thought maybe at some point he was planning on giving it the diary to Harry. And I don't know if that mm. was his original plan. I don't think so. I think that he was purposely trying to bring, like, shame to yeah. Arthur Weasley. Because, you know, they're... You know, he wanted to knock him off his high horse. Yeah. Of, like, you know, catching these, you know, dark wizards out and doing the raids and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, you know, I want it to backfire and him to be yeah. caught out. And that's why he did. Um, and then it just made sense that it was Ginny because she was an easy target and she was new that year. Yeah. yeah I don't think ha Harry had anything to do with it. I just find it funny that that bit of the storyline is so separate from Harry. Like, Harry's yeah. only involved because he knows all the parties. It has yeah. nothing to do with him. Yeah, and I think we're still at this stage as well like, where Harry is such a mystery to the wizarding world. All they know is that he defeated Voldemort. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them, even the Dark Ones, are still, you know, nervous about Harry because they don't yeah. know if he's going to be, like, really powerful and evil you know why could he defeat Voldemort that's still an unknown so I don't think that um Malfoy would you know purposely target Harry because he was still an unknown yeah um but as well like because you know it is it's not not Arthur's fault but like Arthur is the reason why Ginny was targeted and you think that is such a horrendous thing for your young, like, 11-year-old daughter to go through at such a young age. To be targeted for something, you, for and doing like, your job at work. Yeah. It's a hate crime. You, and you would feel, like, responsible that your poor daughter went through that because of what you were doing at work. Yeah. And you and feel guilty. I don't know if that was ever connected by Mr. Weasley. Like, I don't know if he ever found out it was the Malfoys that did it. Because if he did, there's no way he could ever see Mr. Weasley again without killing... No, Mr. Malfoy again without, like, yeah. basically killing him. So I don't think it was ever revealed... Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Yeah. But it's just, how callous do you have to be to think, okay, I'm going to plant this diary. I'm going to plant it on an 11-year-old girl. Like, it's pretty mean. It just seems pretty shitty so thing to do. callous. And like, so you want to get back an adult so you go through it through a child. Yeah. It's wrong. Like, if you it's want to attack Mr. Move. Weasley, attack Mr. Weasley. Don't attack his child. Yeah. But they do attack each other because they have a fist fight in the middle of the shop. Love it. Amazing. So they're, like, fighting in all these cascading books, which is just amazing. Hagrid appears again and, like, pulls them out by the scruff of their necks. And it describes the poor Grangers as, like, terrified. Like, how scared must the Grangers be? They're mm. just like, oh, let's go on a shopping trip with our daughter and her friends. Oh, my God, they're fighting in a bookshop. Yeah, I just and I, I just love whenever the wizards physically fight each other because you're like, you, have you can ones. do this another way. You <laughs> know. Like, I get why Harry does it sometimes because mm. his instinct would be to fist fight because that's how he grew up. But for wizards to do it, I'm like, you were born... Knowing magic, like, what are you yeah. doing? <laughs> but I guess, like, I don't know, cursing someone is not as satisfying or, like, tactile. Yeah, it's a lot more satisfying to punch someone in the face. Yeah. And that's the end of this chapter. Whoop, whoop. Charlie, what did you think of these two chapters? Like, alright, not a lot happens. No. A lot of setup. The Borgen and Berg stuff is a lot of setup. And, like, the Lockhart stuff is setup is it like i found all four of these chapters just nice to read yeah they're nice and they're pleasant but they're not like juicy 
Well, the foreshadowing's good. Yeah. The foreshadowing's very good. I enjoyed the foreshadowing. Uh, they are enjoyable. It's a lot of world building, which yeah. I really enjoy. Uh, so yeah, they're nice chapters, but I'm looking forward to like diving into that mysterious plot. Definitely, definitely. So to finish off the episode, we have a Patreon question. Remember, if you want to ask us a question, there's a tier on Patreon where you can do that. Yay! So this question comes from Sandra. And the same person who made us drink the Uzo. Thanks. Thanks. We're not almost vomiting. Mm. I am regretting all of my life choices. So yeah. There you go. That's fulfilled, Sandra. <laughs> Love you, Sandra. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so she wants to know which character in the entire Harry Potter universe would you most like to curse with incurable hiccups for life? So I found this really funny because hiccups is one of the things I hate most in life. Like I really hate hiccups. Yeah. Like, they're just so annoying. Yeah. They're not great. No. Not a fan. No. And I get them quite a lot, because I can't burp. Right. Did you not know this about me? No. I can't burp. Why would I know that? I can't... Oh. I can't burp, so therefore I... You haven't mentioned in the previous five seconds that you can't burp. So that means I get, like, trapped wind and stuff in my stomach, which comes out as hiccups a lot. Nice. It's... Horrible. Sexy. I know. Leon mm. loves it. He's like, I'm shut old. up. <laughs> I'm sure he does. So, who would you curse with incurable hiccups? Dumbledore. What? Why? Because I just feel like it'd be really funny if this, like, old man who was super powerful, really renowned, had all these, like, really high titles, and, to be honest, was a bit of a cunt if he just always had hiccups. Like, how much that would that, like, undermine his authority? Imagine the scenes later on when he's, like, just telling Harry the entire backstory of Voldemort and what he's gonna have to do and his, like, you know, tragic mission and the prophecy and then just every, like, other word was like... <laughs> 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 yeah. Pansy Parkinson. Oh, can I change my answer? Because yes. She is, and I will talk about this in later books when she becomes more of a character. She's worse than like Malfoy and Crabbe and Goyle because yeah. she just cottons on for the sake of drawing attention to herself. And she's yeah. also one of the only racist characters in the books. Like, yeah. We'll, like, we'll get to those bits, you bitch. And she bullies mm. Hermione and I. Like, because I don't want to hurt her. I want her to have a good life. Like, I want her to improve as a person, but she can cope with hiccups for life because yeah. that, I don't like you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm Pansy Parkinson. Yeah, that's a really good Good, one. Good question. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Very thank good you. question. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, but also not thank you for the ouzo. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. Remember, you can keep up with us on Twitter at Goblet of Wine Pod and Instagram at Goblet of Wine Podcast. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you to our lovely Patreon producer, Sandra, for her help supporting this podcast. If you'd like to support us and gain access to bonus content and rewards like choosing our alcohol, behind-the-scenes content and bonus episodes, check us out on our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Goblet of Wine. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye! Bye.